Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Taking care of business. Hey, if you've been around very long, you recognize that music as the intro to... 48 Days Online Radio, where each week we unpack some questions from you, the listeners. Real-life questions. Hey, some really cool, fun things, always the things that we encounter in real-life work today. We couldn't dream up. They're just real-life things that are happening, but we can take advantage of those things that come our way, even if it's unexpected and unwelcome, and turn it into meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable work. That's our goal here. You're at the right place if you want to have work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. And if you need to make a change, we're going to encourage you to do that in 48 days. Yes, that's kind of our moniker here. If you want to make change, create a plan of action. Make it happen. Don't be complaining about the same thing six months from now, two years from now. You know, I hear that a lot. And that's why I created the 48 Days Timeline originally. This was years ago because I got really tired of hearing people complain and moan about where they were. We'd outline a plan of action and two years later they hadn't done anything. And I'm like, are you serious? Apparently the pain isn't great enough. You're like that dog laying on a nail on the porch where asked the owner, why doesn't that dog move? He's just laying there groaning as well. I guess it doesn't hurt that much yet. Well, you can decide when it hurts enough that you want to make a change, but if you want to make a change, there are ways you can lay out a plan of action and make that change happen within the 48 days timeline. Well, here's some of the things we're going to be discussing today. Questions that have come in. Dan, I'm a junior in college and go through waves of, of motivation. How do I stay motivated and stay excited about my future? Dan, do you need a, to get a regular job first before you can start a business? How about this? Can you give me advice for starting a personalized computer tutoring service? Someone says, I run a successful fan club for my favorite NFL team, and I absolutely love it. But yes, there's a question there. How to make that successful. Dan, can I be more prosperous in supporting my family of two and still fulfill my true calling? Now, that's a great question. A lot of people think, well, if I really follow my calling or my passion, my dreams, then the family's going to have to learn to live on beans and rice. No, it usually works the other way around. You follow your calling, money shows up in unexpected ways. We'll talk about that. And then someone says, Dan, I want to start my own business creating handmade candles, reed diffusers, and smelly jelly. How can I start now? Those are some of the things we're going to be listening to. Here's a quotation for the week. This comes from A.G. Buckham. Now listen carefully. This is a short quotation and it really just stopped me in my tracks when I heard it. It says, monotony is the awful reward of the careful. So my encouragement is going to be, don't be too careful. Monotony is the awful reward of the careful. Now some of you may really cringe when I say that because you want to be very systematic and thoughtful and careful analyze every move and that's okay to a point but i encounter people who are still analyzing a potential move you know that they started looking at something five years ago they're still analyzing it and gathering information that can work against you at some point you got to be willing to pull the trigger and grow 
If you want to grow and change, you must stretch the edges of what is safe and predictable for you. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do as we talk through these questions today. Now, each time we start off with some success stories, got a couple here that I want to share with you. Got a really cool one. This comes from Dr. David Powers, who is a member of our 48 Days community. He's attended multiple live events here at the Sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee. He has multiple businesses up and running. But one of the things also, he's kind of a high on my list because he heard me talk. I talk often about the impact of the little audio recording, The Strangest Secret, and what an impact that made on me as a little farm kid when I was about 13 years old. And I said that over the years, you know, I lost track of that, don't know where it was. It was a little, it was a little 45 size, 45 RPM size, but with a small hole in the center, 33 RPM. Remember those? I mean, yes, it really was that. Well, Dr. David Powers found one, found one out there in its original you know, container and everything, purchased it, had it framed for me, and I hang it proudly in my office. So anyway, he's been a longtime friend of the 48 Days community and mine personally. Just an interesting guy and the things that he does. Here's an update from him. And it's just, I love this kind of stuff. Hey, Dan, after reading your Friday update, I wanted to put my name in the mix for highlighting those of us who mix work and play so much they seem the same. I just flew out to Utah to purchase a comic book collection and drove it home in a moving truck. The purchase included over 40,000 books and collectibles, which makes me the owner of the largest private comic book collection in South Carolina. The work park? Yeah, I had to drive an overloaded moving truck cross-country. I'm cataloging them for resale. My numbers are looking at tripling the purchase price. The play part? I got to drive cross-country again. I'm also a geek at heart, so getting the chance to lay hands on all these comics is a dream. I sold my first collection to pay for undergraduate college, so this is almost like getting it all back again. Even with the profit I hope to make, I'll still be pulling quite a few significant comics from this batch for my personal collection. I wrote about it in my blog and uh, Dr. David Powers blog. It's embrace the disaster or stay home and cry, but you can, you can Google that and find that read his story about buying 40,000 comic books. I, I just think that that's the coolest thing. Now the principle is pretty easy to understand. I mean, if you go to the grocery store and buy a bushel or go to the farmer's market and buy a bushel of apples, you can then go to a football game and sell them. Let's say you bought a bushel of apples and it's got 40 apples in there and you paid, you know, $20 for it. Well, that would be more than reasonable, but let, let's say that you paid $10 for it. So you paid 25 cents a piece for the apples. Now you go to a football game and you sell them for a dollar a piece. Nice, refreshing, energizing snack. So you quadruple your money. I mean, that's the principle that can be done in a thousand different ways. David's doing that. Bought 40,000 comic books at once. He's going to sell them individually and triple his money. Sure. I mean, I bought one time we were at a, it was like a flea market, but it was a bookstore had a display and there was a young couple. I think, I think it was actually a guy and his girlfriend working at, and he was like, man, this is boring. You know, nobody's interested in books, this kind of event. Why don't, you know what? I wish somebody would just buy the whole thing. And I said, well, how much would you take for everything you got? And he says, oh, a hundred dollars. I said, are you serious? He said, well, I guess so. I said, don't let anybody else look at anything close your doors. I'm going to get my truck. We're going to start loading them up. He says, well, wow, I guess I have to check and see if that's really okay. Check. And he called whoever it was that owned the bookstore. 
And they said, yes. And I loaded up and it was about 800 books that I got for hundred bucks. Well, I love that, you know, love the, and we had a lot of fun giving those things away. I'm sure we sold them, recaptured my money many times over, but certainly an interesting thing that you can do in many applications. Well, here comes another success story from Kurt Witzelbin from Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, wait a minute. It's not Alaska. It's Arkansas. Anchorage, Arkansas. All right. Probably got the wrong one there. Kurt says, you asked several weeks ago in your podcast about success stories after reading your book. I've been a financial advisor for 11 years. About five years ago, I was barely making a living considering changing jobs to increase my income. Came to a point in life where I needed to either step up my efforts or find a new career. I read your book, did a lot of introspection, came to the realization that I did enjoy being a financial advisor. I just needed to focus on the areas I was lacking in and give it one last try. If I couldn't gain traction and increase my income, I would be forced to find something else to do. When I finally started applying myself wholeheartedly and became even more knowledgeable, weird things started happening. I was getting more and more referrals from clients and business started to grow. With that came more confidence and happiness. Fast forward to today, over the past four years, my income has seen a 30% annual increase. Wow, over the past four years, income has seen a 30% annual increase. Awesome. Kurt says, I'm on the verge of making uh, enough income so my wife can stay home with the kids and leave the job that she truly does not enjoy. For me, reading your book did not lead to a new career. It helped me reevaluate my current career and how to make more of it as what I wanted to be. I enjoy coming to the office. I enjoy my clients. I love being able to provide for my family in a way that five years ago was a dream. Even though I found what I want to be when I grow up, I still enjoy listening to your podcast, picking up the little tidbits that I then pass on to others. One of my 2013 goals is to write an ebook. I wouldn't have considered that five years ago, but today I like to see what the next goal is that I can reach. Thanks for your motivation, Dan. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks for your note. Kurt, I appreciate that a lot. Well, this is Dan Meller, your host here on 48 Days Online Radio, where every week we take questions from you, the listeners, real life questions. We're going to plow right into those here. If you got a question you'd like to have included, just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, and you can ask your question there. I'd be happy to consider that for an upcoming show. Now, one of the things that happens when you are doing a little better when you are reaching your goals, when you're doing the kind of things that Kurt and Dr. David Powers are doing here, when you're hitting your stride and things are going pretty well, and we've got lots and lots of stories like that, well, you start looking for ways that you can achieve even more. And one of those is by hanging around people who are high achievers, people who are doing what you would love to be doing. I mean, I've done that for years when I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I was trying to figure out ways I could hang around people like Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar, Tommy Hopkins and others, and Dave Ramsey as he was coming up the ranks. We were growing our businesses together. But I've always wanted to spend time with people who are doing really well. Well, guess what? We got an opportunity for you to do that in a real compact form. That's going to be in the Wisdom Meets Passion cruise. And we're going to do a cruise in February, right during the week of Valentine's Day will tie in some romantic kind of things because cruises are tend to be romantic events anyway, but you can certainly come if you're not married, if you're not a couple. We've got people requesting single rooms. If you want to room with somebody as a single, boy, let us know on that because we've got people waiting in line 
to uh, share a room with somebody. So we'd be happy to coordinate that as well. But the Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise, what a great way. This is really going to be looking at your creativity, how to tap into your creativity and passion and put legs on that so you can then generate income and live the life that you want to live. Now here, I'm going to have you listen to my buddy Pierce Mars talk a little bit about the cruise. Hey, I'm Pierce Mars, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on the upcoming Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise. One of my favorite things about the cruises have been the connections I've made. So many new friends and associates. There is no better way to relax and enjoy business at the same time. Our first year on the cruise, we met some wonderful people. Our second year, I was a speaker, and this year, I'm looking forward to speaking with you about Wisdom Meets Passion, the theme of Dan's upcoming book. Join us in February on the new ship Celebrity Reflection, traveling to San Juan, St. Martin, and my favorite, St. Thomas. To book your cruise, go to 48days.com. Well, there you go. There you got the details. We'd love to see you there. I've got some pe- lots of people that I don't know who I've seen have registered, and we'll have a great time meeting each other, sharing stories, sharing tidbits of wisdom that we all have together on the Wisdom Meets Passion Cruise, February, I think it's the 9th to the 16th of 2013. So jump in there. Uh, we've, we've got rooms blocked out that we've reserved that are going to be returned back to the cruise ship by, I think, about the end of October, the end of this month. So it doesn't mean that you can't get a space, but the rooms that we blocked out together, uh, whatever we have not sold out of that block will be returned to the cruise ship. Gonna be, and, and incidentally, it's going to be the uh, Celebrity Reflection. It's a brand new ship. Uh, can't wait to see it. It's going to be spectacular. Well, here's a question from JD who says, Dan, I emailed you a few months back with a question regarding monetiz- monetization of my podcasting. You suggested that I turn my attention toward monetizing my podcast and expertise rather than my actual podcast content. So I have a follow-up question. I began marketing myself as a podcast consultant and have set up a blog, jdsutter.me, where I write about podcasting tips and related technology. I've also been attending networking events and being more active in social media. All these things have been in order to build my credibility in this field. I recently had the idea of trying to work with some local community colleges and or libraries to offer some one night podcast training classes for a small fee per person that would teach the basics. I could then refer attendees to my one-on-one consulting if they need further help. Do you think this is a worthwhile approach to take? If so, what would be the best way to approach the colleges? Who would I need to speak with about something like this? Thanks for your assistance, JD. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Podcasting is such a hot topic right now, and I think that's a wise thing to do. I mean, it would not really be fitting to create a semester-long course. That would be overkill. But to do a one-night class at a library or local college, sure. I mean, and it doesn't have to be complicated. I mean, you need to have like a one-page flyer with the overview of why this is going to be beneficial to people, and then talk to the local libraries. Just see, would they be willing to host that? Now, usually at a library, they don't allow you to charge a fee that you're going to put in your pocket. So you may have to address that. It may just be for marketing exposure where then if people that are interested in more help, you can engage with them personally. So my experience with libraries is that they don't allow you to charge a fee. Now, colleges will do that. Sure, there's all kinds of things. Another thing, here in Franklin, Tennessee, we have the rec center, recreation center, There are ongoing classes every, I think every night of the year, just lots of things, you know, an art class, 
decoupage class, pottery class. I mean, you get to go on and on and on. That would be a perfect fit for there. There probably is some kind of community learning center in your location that would do that as well. If not, you can do it through the colleges. Personally, I find the colleges a little more um, cerebral, a little slow, a little less energetic, a little less exciting place to do things like this than some other kind of setting. I mean, put together uh, a one-night class. I mean, you could do it in a room at a local restaurant where you charge people 10 bucks to come, you know, and you eat together and learn together. I mean, look for a fun place. When I did, just did my book release, I did not want to go to a local bookstore. I won't mention any names because it doesn't matter. I want to, don't want to go to any of them and sit there behind a desk, you know, and have a few people strolling by. We had a party. I booked the Vanderbilt Legends Golf Clubhouse. It's a spectacular place up on a hill. And, I mean, we had the whole place. We had catered food and live music and the whole thing. We, we had a party. I mean, look to make it a fun event, not just some kind of educational thing. Well, let me move on. Shelby from Anthos, Georgia says, Dan, I'm a junior in college and go through waves of motivation. Some weeks I'm very proactive in finding what I want to do with my life. Other weeks I can't find the motivation to do anything of value. How do I stay motivated and stay excited about my future? Well, Shelby, for some reason, you haven't tapped into something you're passionate about. I can understand being a junior in college where you know, you're, you still have to take classes that you aren't really thrilled about. But your motivation ought to be getting finished at this point. If you're a junior, just set your eye on getting finished. When I started my master's degree program, I was getting my master's in clinical psychology. I was in it about six months, I suppose. And I came home and told Joanne, I said, man, this is ridiculous. I mean, these professors are boring. They're monotonous. They're just you know, going through the motions. There's no excitement. There's no energy here. I can't handle this. And she said, you know what? We moved so you could come here and get this opportunity. Why don't you just do some other things anyway, which I did, but keep your eye on the goal. So at least you just know that it, I mean, 18 months is going to go by in a blink of an eye. Anyway, we're already moved. We're here. We're settled. You have a teaching assistantship, which I did. I mean, they were paying me to go. She said, why don't you just Know that that time is going to go by really quickly. Yeah, it's not your dream position, but it's a means to an end because it'll increase our options on the other side. Well, that's what I did. And I would say do that. Start getting excited about what you're going to be able to do when you graduate. So you've got another year and a half or a year, wherever you happen to be in your junior year in college. But start getting ideas about what you want to do beyond just being in college. Now, you don't have to figure everything out when you're in college. You really don't. I mean, we know that 10 years after graduation, over 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. That's cool. No problem. That doesn't matter. College is not a process to force you into a narrow rut from which there's no escape. All it does is just give you some additional kind of exposure to things to increase your options when you get out on the other side. You're still going to spend the next 10 years trying to figure out what you really want to do. So don't be discouraged if you haven't figured that out as a junior in college. No big deal. But start to see the opportunities beyond college and there ought to be things there that excite you. If not, you need to loosen the cobwebs because you're way too living life too small. Raven from Torrance, California says, Dan, I'll be graduating art school in a few months. 
I know I will need a side job while I develop my art. I would prefer to work for myself. I know you've done that for most of your career. Do you need to get a regular job first before you can start a business in order to make money? Or could I just jump right into an entrepreneurial venture while I develop my art? I have no startup money, but I hate the idea of having a regular job. What's your advice? Well, here's what you don't want to do. Let me, well, let me just, okay, Raven, here, here's what you don't want to do. Morgan, 7 to 3, 3 to 11, 11 to 7, 7. talking about a bunch of shit. All right. Hey, you don't have to do that. Uh, trust me. And if your feeling is like Kenny Chesney's singing about there, yeah, you don't have to do that. If you are an artist, then you say that it's going to take you a while, you know, to really start your business. Well, my question is why? If you want to develop your art, look, here's an example. I had a young guy come to me. He was actually pastor of a church. He'd had a dramatic change in his own life. And he thought the most godly worthwhile thing he could do possibly would be be a pastor. I mean, what could be higher than that in doing godly work? Went to seminary, got ordained in as pastor of a little church, absolutely miserable. They were paying him peanuts. He was working as a night clerk at holiday Inn during the week to try to keep the lights on in his house and just a miserable time. And I said, man, who sold you this bill of goods? And he's like, wow, isn't this a high calling? I said, well, I don't know. Does it fit you? Well, without going into great detail, it did not fit. I mean, calling doesn't take us out of something that we enjoy into something that we're miserable in. Calling purpose, destiny, mission, call it what you want, should embrace what we know about ourselves. It should accentuate our natural talents, our areas of greatest joy, what makes our hearts sing. So anyway, with this young guy, I got him out of what he was doing, including pastoring, where he then, and he would describe going into a room in his house and painting, just as kind of a cathartic release. He would lock the doors, put on Beethoven and Mozart. I mean, it still just gives me goosebumps when I think about hearing him describe the feeling that he had when he was painting. Well, I said, you're a painter, you're an artist. Let's do that. Well, it's hard to just say the next day, hey, here's my painting, you know, pay me a thousand bucks for this. I know that. So for four years, he did faux finishes. So he would go into people's homes and businesses and do these dramatic treatments using sponges, rags, so on, to create faux finishes on walls. That created significant income. I mean, multiples of what he was making previously as a pastor. And that gave him the freedom to really do the beautiful pieces of art that he does today. Today, he does not do any faux finishes. He does these beautiful pieces of art only with a music theme. All of them have a music theme. And he's become known as the go-to guy. I mean, you can Google him. His name is Ron Baldwin. His works are magnificent. That's how we create a transition. So if you want to be an artist, I don't care what that is. What that means for you, do something that embraces your talent in art, even on the way. And you don't have to go get a job where you're making 10 bucks an hour. Do something creative. I mean, you could um, cover over walls in your town where graffiti has been painted. And you go in and offer, hey, for 800 bucks, I'll cover that. And not only cover it, but I'll put a really cool art design there. 
I mean, look for things that you could do. I mean, one of the artists that is here in the sanctuary, as I'm speaking right now, did a commission piece for the, uh, the Olympics that were in London recently. I mean, do something where you uh, decorate the side of a, a bus that is going to be driven around town promoting a new event coming up. Or you be the go-to guy for posters and billboards for an upcoming festival in your town. Look for things like that that give you chunks of money to supplement maybe what you want to do long-term as an artist. But I don't think you need to compromise or wait or hold off and go do something boring just to make money. Now, there are too many opportunities to be creative, especially if you are an artist, in ways that will make more money than you could possibly expect to make from just a regular job anyway. Well, Mark says, Dan, love the show. Let's see what Mark says here. Can you give me advice for starting a personalized computer tutoring service? The basic idea is to offer a free phone consultation. What do you need to know about your computer? What are you trying to do? These are not computer one-on-one classes. The idea is not to waste anyone's time and teach them exactly what they want to know. Struggling with getting photos from your camera and posting to social media to share with your family? I can show you how. Educate on all procedures and privacy concerns. The idea is to provide educational information uh, in terms of computers and day-to-day operations for personal use. Not sure how to market or pursue this idea, and I'm scared to leave the security of a corporate job for this idea. Now, I'm, I'm not sure where you're going with this. When you say you want to start giving free phone consultations, I mean, my gosh, you could book yourself 100 hours a week giving free phone consultations. There's got to be some back end of that, something beyond that. And I'm not sure there's a logical sequence to take you to something more than that. If I have a question about getting photos from my phone to my computer, as an example, like you kind of allude to here, and I call you and you tell me how to do that, that's all I need to know. That doesn't necessarily lead to a more in-depth computer training. So I think you need to be careful about just giving away these selected answers to people when that may be, in fact, all they really need. So I'm, I, I think you have to be more thorough in what you're going to offer, where you're going to be paid significantly for it. And, and to take this a little farther, I think if you're going to be a personal computer consultant where you're just coming out to little businesses like mine or to individuals, I think that's a really tough model to make work. You need to spend about 80% of your time marketing your services so that you, in fact, are getting the flow of work that you need. So I would encourage you to be a little more con, um, thought out about what your business model is there. As you're presenting it right here, I don't see a real revenue generation that, uh, you know, that makes me comfortable with what you're doing at all. Well, hey, this is Dan Meller and the 48 Days Online radio show. We're just talking about real life. We're talking about how to figure out what you were wired to do, what puts you in the zone, and then how to translate that into meaningful daily work. Work that is fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. If you got a question, just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, and you'll see an opportunity there to shoot that in. You can also, we got this cool little button there where you can just click on it and just talk right into your computer, and that comes in as well. Um, and I, I get your live audio questions. Got a bunch of those. I'll, I'm going to group those together and probably do those in the next week or so. 
This question comes from Patrick, who says, I can't shake a three-year desire to somehow turn my hobby into a career. I run a successful fan club for my favorite NFL team and absolutely love it. Unfortunately, the team we follow provides little support to fan groups, and they're missing golden opportunities to support displaced fans and to promote their brand. I constantly plan ways to create a system that supports and advises presidents how to run their fan clubs and how that unites with fans online, sort of a 48 days for fan clubs. I then see myself offering consulting services to the team to unite them with their fan base. Ultimately, I envision my ideas being duplicated across the NFL and other sports. Um, Not sure where to start. Well, what I would do is take the team that you are working with now and make it absolutely remarkable. If you love doing this, I mean, make it one that really gets attention. For one thing, that gets the attention of the team. So you can then nurture that relationship and tell them this is a way to engage with your fans. We're going to fill more seats in the stadiums when you losers play, whatever. I mean, do that. Just work with the one you've got. Make it so remarkable that then you'll have the open door to go start training other teams how to do that. This is like a franchise. The reason a franchise model works is because it's been done. It's been done in this location here in, in Franklin, Tennessee. We've got a really cool little new franchise called sweet CC's it's yogurt, healthy yogurt. There's no prices anywhere. You just go in, you get a cup, you put whatever flavor yogurt you want in a cup. You walk down this line and it's got every edition that is unhealthy for you that you can imagine. It's awesome. You know, you got M&Ms and Heath bars and Snickers and chocolate sauce and caramel. I mean, everything you want to put on at the end, you just set it on a scale and you get charged per weight. Well, they're franchising that. But the reason that's such a hot franchise is because there's one right here in Franklin, Tennessee, that you go to any night in the year when it's 60 degrees or more and there's going to be a standing line down the street from there. That's what you want to do with your fan club. Make it so notable that other people want to duplicate your success. Then I put you in the driver's seat to consult, sell the idea, or however you want to frame it. Carly says, I've been the sole proprietor of a residential cleaning business for two years. I have about 12 regular clients and no employees. I'm a single parent of a seven-year-old boy. I can't seem to get ahead. I'm a college graduate in linguistics and foreign language. I had an upper-level administrative position at a large university before coming before becoming a mother my real passion is to be a homemaker i love all things domestic interior decorating caring for my child cooking baking and volunteering at church and school i feel i'm at the end of my rope and need to make a change i cannot bring myself to do the menial labor in my cleaning business anymore i feel i have so much more to offer how can i be more prosperous in supporting my family of two and still fulfill my true calling Thanks. Well, as articulated so clearly by my dear late friend, Donna Summer, Carly is working hard for the money. Cleaning is hard work. But here's where I think you ought to go. You've got a college degree. You've got experience in administrative work, as you've already designed, described here. With what you have, you have 12 
residential cleaning clients. There's really no limit to the number of residential cleaning prospects out there. So you could go into one neighborhood and have 500 prospects you know, without ever driving your car, just walking up and down the street. So there's an unlimited number of prospects. If you have the ability to sell your services, then I would suggest the way to leverage your knowledge and experience would be to get some other people to help you with the actual work. So let's say instead of 12 clients, you went out and you just worked on getting the clients and now all of a sudden you have 50, but now you have two gals that work for you and you pay them $10 an hour, but you've contracted the work so that it effectively is generating $40 an hour. There still ought to be plenty of margin there for you to run the business instead of working in it. Now, this is one of the key principles outlined in Michael Gerber's books, The E-Myth. Now, I say books because there's an E-Myth revisited and all that, but he says a lot of times somebody has something that they do well, and so they just start doing that, and they get trapped in working in their business rather than on their business. So, Carly, what you're describing is really not a business. You have simply created a job for yourself. So you're self-employed. You move from being an employee to being self-employed, and I commend you on that. But to be a business, it implies that there is money being generated when you are not there. In this case, that's not true. If you're not there working, doing the cleaning, working hard for the money, there's no money being generated. If you had other people that were doing the work, and can you find those? Yes, you can. I mean, we work with a lot of the gals coming out of the Tennessee prison for women. There's some delightful gals there. They find it very difficult to um, get positions to get people that will give them opportunities along with a whole lot of other obstacles. Now you may say, well, you can't get them bonded. Yeah, that's true. But there's a whole lot of people out and we have people clean our houses who are not bonded. That's not a real big issue. We have people that we like and trust. And a lot of times that includes gals who just got out of prison. That is not an issue. Some of the sweetest ladies I've ever met were in prison because they couldn't afford good legal help. A lot of other people would never have been there, but they were as a result of that. And so, but they come out and we are more than willing to give them a hand up. I think you could find a lot of people who would be willing to work hard, do good work where you're managing it because you have the ability to know how the business ought to run instead of just working in it. And I would say that is your next step. A lot of times there's more money in teaching people how to than there is in actually doing the work. A lot of examples of that. I've worked with gals who have been doing gift baskets and then I help them understand that there's a whole lot more money to be paid to teach other people how to build a gift basket business than in actually doing the work themselves. You're in one of those positions. Alana says, Dan, I listen to your podcast all the time. Thanks for your wisdom. I just turned 27 years old. I currently work as a team leader at Target making only thirty-five dollars to $40,000 annually. I want to start my own business creating handmade candles, re-diffusers, and smelly jelly, and eventually adding soaps, lotions, and perfumes in the future. I'm currently working Dave Ramsey's Baby Steps, and I'm almost completely debt-free. I started at $50,000 debt. I've got it down to $4,000. Name of the business will be called Common Sense, S-C-E-N-T-S. I love that name. Well, that's a great play on word. If you can, boy, if you can get the domain for that, that's awesome. Alana says, my question is, do I start investing in it now or do I make sure, so I could make sure I'm in the market for this year's holidays 
or do I wait till I'm completely debt free and miss the holiday season? I would encourage you to start now. I mean, if you know you're well on your way to eliminating your debt, I don't think you have to wait. Uh, sometimes we, we wait and wait and wait on circumstances to be perfect and we miss a window of opportunity. What you're describing is that if you have $4,000 in debt and you have $4,000 right now, you could either pay that off or $4,000 to launch this business and be in it through the holiday season. Let's just say that you tripled your money, which we certainly would expect you to do that. So that January 1st rolls around, you got $12,000 in your hand. Now you can pay the remaining debt and have $8,000 to reinvest in your business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've got the confidence in your business and you've done a business plan to see those projections, I would say start, take advantage because the kind of things you're talking about are hot holiday gift items. Absolutely. I'd start now. David says, Dan, for a number of years now, you've taught us about the DISC personality assessment. I'm both a high S and a high C. I've also used the strength finder. My top strengths are connectedness, input, belief, intellection, and responsibility. Would you recommend listing our personality types and top strengths in our resumes, discussing them in interviews or another job search context based on test results? Obviously want to use these test results to my advantage. David, no, I would not list those in your resume. However, now keep in mind, what do we want a resume to do? We want it to whet the appetite of a potential employer, somebody who's willing to talk to you. That's all we want it to do. So we don't want a resume to give somebody enough information where they could make an intelligent decision about hiring you. We just want it to whet their appetite. So they say, man, this is somebody we want to see. I think putting your disc results in a resume gives too much information too early. So get the interview. That's what you want. In the interview, have your test results with you. Have your disc results with you, your strength finders. Absolutely. If it comes up and it's an appropriate inclusion in the interview, then share that. It'll separate you from the pack. But I would not do it on a resume or an advanced information. You'll be, chances are, it'll work to your detriment rather than to your benefit. It'll give people a reason to eliminate you rather than a reason for them to bring you in too early. Tim from Windsor, Canada says, Dan, uh, thanks for what you do. I was wondering if you could direct me or suggest to me as well as others to companies that are reputable and commission only sales. There are many gimmicks and scams out there and it's clouding my searching process as I'm trying to find 30 to 40 companies to sell for. I'm looking to increase my income dramatically and I need to do this now. I have debts to pay off two sons that are going to be going to school in three years. My wife and I have about $80,000 in student loan debt. I have put together an aggressive gazelle-like plan to pay it off. I need to double my income, though, to pay it off in three years. Thanks in advance for your input. All you do to change the world, God bless. Well, thanks for your, thanks for your question there, Tim. When you talk about commission-only sales, you know, there's a whole lot of opportunities out there. I mean, it's kind of, there's no downside for a company to bring you on. So you see all kinds of door-to-door things, multi-level marketing things. I mean, it certainly, those are commission only. And are they legitimate opportunities? Sure. But you don't want to just spin your wheels, waste your time. You want something that really gives you leverage. So identify, again, start with something where you are passionate. Start with something you already know and understand and care about. Something you would want your next door neighbor or your cousin or your mom and dad to have. So be sure that you're 
honoring that and that it is a good fit. So if that takes you, I mean, I know a a college kid down in Florida who's making about $140,000 a year selling insurance just around the times where he's committed to college classes. He's a full-time student, but he makes that because he loves what he's doing in selling insurance. So if you love insurance, are there opportunities there? Absolutely. Are there opportunities selling yachts, high-end things? Absolutely. If you want to be a rep for MRI machines or printing processes, identify something that you care about. You'll find opportunities very open-ended there. Now, personally, I would question you finding 30 to 40 companies you want to sell for. I mean, the only application of that, I I know there's five guys that have a business where they're all equal partners here in where I, here where I live and they, they sell hardware supplies. So they have major accounts like home Depot. So they have 30 to 40 different companies that they rep for. So it can be DeWalt and black and Decker. They have those major brands and they sell then to targeted audiences where the one prospect, whoever they contact would be a candidate for all the products they sell. If you're talking about that kind of an application, you can make that work, but don't try to wear too many hats unless the 30 to 40 different companies have products that all go together into one composite that you can then sell to an end user. I would say, don't do that. Don't be switching gears. I would rather you find one company with an opportunity that you really believe in and have fun with that. Knock it out of the park doing just that. Fred says, uh, Fred Firestein, interesting name, Fred Firestein. They got the F's going there from Lindenhurst, New York says, Dan, how do you handle tasks when you get stuck in a problem that could potentially waste a lot of time? This happens to me often with the technical work I do. Should I walk away for a while or push through? It's hard to feel productive until the task is done. Any suggestions for quickly overcoming these roadblocks? Thanks for all your help, including your recent interview with my friend, Eric Fisher. Yeah, Eric did a great job had fun doing an interview. You got a lot of response to that. How do you handle tasks where you get stuck in a problem that could potentially waste a lot of time? Well, you, you have to believe that the end result is worthwhile, obviously. I'm not quite sure how to frame this. You're doing technical work. There are potential problems could waste a lot of time. Now, I can see if you're chasing a problem, you know, with a computer glitch or at all. And it may be, you may be implying that you're overlooking what will ultimately be the solution and you chase a lot of rabbits and just trying to isolate back to what that is. Yeah, I can see with that where you work for an hour, then take a break for 10 minutes, go do something else, give your brain a break. You may think of a solution while you're out walking around the property where you wouldn't see it, where they're so micro focused on the problem itself. But I mean, with anything that we do, there are parts of it that we probably don't find as appealing. The challenging part for me in, writing books, frankly, is working with the editors. My gosh. I mean, writing the book is a cakewalk depending on, depending or compared to then coming back and having the editors go through. Well, I think there ought to be a comma here. Well, you word use the word and twice in this paragraph. Can you eliminate it? I mean, that stuff drives me absolutely crazy. That to me is way harder work than writing the book originally. But I mean, if I've invested the time and energy to write the stupid book, I want to get it published. 
So that's a necessary part of getting through. So I, I just keep the end in mind. I mean, this is the old Stephen Covey thing, begin with the end in mind. So keep the end in mind and that'll help you push through the challenging parts. I mean, hope that makes sense. Certainly that's what we want you to do. Well, let me grab a couple more here. Jeremy from Denver says, how do I dream bigger? Boy, isn't that a great question? How do I dream bigger? Jeremy says, I'm 29 years old. I've outgrown my prior big dreams by God's good grace. Once one has achieved what they previously thought impossible, how do you stretch your dreams to be even bigger and better? The ultimate goal is to achieve his will. And I'm being stretched to recognize exactly what that is as big goals are achieved quickly. Wow. What a cool place to be. You know, we are here right at the end of October, 2012. You know what I say about goal setting? I want to have goals set by November 15th. So we've got a couple weeks, November 15th. I want you to have your goals set for 2013 by then. But here's the deal. If you've reached all the goals you set, yeah, my, my feeling is you didn't set your goals high enough. I mean, this is like a, um, a jumper jumping a high bar. So you set it at four feet. Well, you jump it all day long. You never miss. You jump it every time. Well, that's not an accurate measurement of how good that jumper is, is it? We have to keep raising the bar. So we raise it to five feet. We raise it to five feet, eight inches. We raise it to six feet. Boom. We raise it to six one. And now the jumper, ah, clicks the bar and knocks it down. Now we have an accurate measurement of how good that jumper really is. So I would say absolutely keep stretching your goals to find out how much you really can achieve. Now, this isn't just about having more and making more money and accumulating and hoarding and being greedy, but I think we ought to be stretching ourselves. But but here's an example that doesn't have anything to do with money. Let's say that last year you had a goal that you were going to read 12 books. All right. Make it your goal this year to read 20. So that's going to stretch you some. Now, if you want to do something in a financial area, so last year you made 50,000. So set a goal this year that you're going to make a hundred. That would be a really major leap forward. And frankly, I would be surprised if you could do that double your income in one year, but here's the deal. And this is why a lot of people set their goals low. They say, well, I don't think I could make it to a hundred. So I'm going to set my goal at 60. Now let's just go ahead and set it at a hundred. All right, let's keep it at a hundred. So you really work, you hit 2013, boy, you are bowling and going, things are going really well. And you think, man, I got a shot at this. And then December 1st, you have an emergency appendectomy like I had this year. And all of a sudden you're out of pocket for a couple of weeks and you think, oh my gosh, I'm at $85,000. You know, I got to get to a hundred. I need another $15,000. And you do what you can back in the game and you end the year at $87,000. You went from fifty thousand to eighty-seven thousand dollars. You did not hit your goal of a hundred. What a failure! What a loser! Are you kidding me? Nobody's going to say that of you. You aren't going to think that of yourself. You're going to think that's incredible. So I always set my goals where I have about a fifty-fifty chance of hitting them. I don't want to hit my goals. If I hit my goals, I'm going to be disappointed because I'm going to realize I didn't set them high enough. I didn't stretch enough. So I always set goals where I've got about a 50-50 chance of hitting them. That's exactly the way I want to have them pulling me forward. I don't think it's very complicated to just identify, okay, if this is the goal that you had set and you accomplished it, 
then stretch, reach more. I mean, in any area that you wanted, if you're in, if you are getting in better shape and you ran a 5k, watch my grandson run a 5k the other day out in Pueblo, Colorado. We had a blast. It was a gorgeous day and all the kids and he broke his, broke his personal record by about 28 seconds. It was a really cool experience. So let's say that you run a, run a 5k. You could do that. You could say, well, I want to get my time. I want to hit 19 minutes for a 5k or instead of a 5k, I want to do a marathon this year. So it's easy to identify what are bigger goals in any area, whether it's improving relationships, making more money, having a bigger business, more productive, writing a book, being in better shape physically, whatever it is. I mean, all those things are things you can do to, in fact, stretch yourself. Boy, now's the time to do it. Let me know about those goals you're setting. Hey, I'll put in the show notes my goal-setting worksheets. So you can just go there in the show notes for today's podcast, get the goal-setting worksheets. So you can be setting your goals for 2013. What an exciting time of year. We're into the fall. We're into the last quarter. Now's the time to be setting goals for next year. So you decide in advance what year kind of you're going to have. You don't have to wait on the economy to get better or make sure your favorite candidate gets elected has very little to do with what you're going to accomplish next year. Hey, thanks for being part of this group. Check out 48days.net. A lot of things happen there. More and more people who are finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Join that crowd. Have a great week.